Day, y'all celebrating? Y'all celebrating already? It's got to be after five somewhere. I know it is over in Ireland. I got some numbers for you on St. Patrick's Day and some really awesome looking trailers too. Take a look at how Guinness moves uh, their suds over in the UK. Here's some numbers for you though. How much do you think the average American spends on St. Patrick's Day? Any guesses? Throw it out there in the audience. It's forty-three dollars and eighty-four cents. And Guinness is going to sell 13, more than 13 million pints in the USA today. There's a 174% increase in, in beer sales on St. Patrick's Day compared to the rest of the year. And they say to pour the perfect pint of Guinness from a tap, a glass is first tilted at a 45-degree angle, and it must settle for exactly 119.5 seconds. Any of you have the patience for that? Cabbage sales go up 70%. And look, if you are a Catholic, you're in luck because the Catholic Dionysus in New York and New Jersey are granting a special dispensation allowing parishioners to eat meat today on St. Patrick's Day, which happens to fall on a Friday this year. Corned beef, other staples, big holiday this year. It, the, they don't even say, the Pope didn't say we got to do a makeup day or anything. No double head or Lent. Next Friday, we're all set. So if you want to eat meat, you're good today. We're in the clear. And here's this. Someone figured out the market value of a leprechaun's pot of gold. Any guesses? I'm not sure how they quantify this, but $1.84 million. These are the best cities to party in. We got my hometown of Boston. You got Philly, Chicago, Pittsburgh, and New York City. Um, the Morning Brew says basically a city will have great parties today if residents spent the past four months being miserably cold and seeing no sun. Yeah, it has to do with the huge Irish populations there as well. The average number of drinks consumed, 4.2. So please enjoy responsibly. Drivers, accidents are going to go up 41% today. Keep that head on a swivel. And we'd, we'd be remiss not to mention it. Be on the lookout for the Crichton Leprechaun. Here's an amateur sketch of him. He's been known to appear in trees in Mobile, Alabama. He was first spotted by amateur cryptozoologists back in 2006 and is still on the lam. And now for some, this is a holiday that's more than just drinks. It's a reason to be thankful. Look at this story that James Adams put up at LinkedIn. He's the CEO of Revolution Trucking. He said, most people celebrate their birthday. I celebrate the day my life was saved on St. Patrick's Day of 2021. It was on that day I received a kidney transplant. Steve Fracasio, uh, the VP of Logistics at Revolution Trucking, was the donor. Thank you for that selfless act of kindness. Love you, man. Wow. Look, cowbell for that, giving, it, giving uh, your kidney to the boss. Hope you got a nice raise out of that one. Anyways, on the show today, I'm getting into how you keep track of your freight. Do you know where your containers are when the street lights go off? Tim Hyam, he's the CEO at InMotion Global, which offers the popular TMS solution, Ascend TMS. He's got a bunch of data on how brokers are using TMS right now. So it's going to be really cool to hear from him. He broke down all the different stats, and one of the most curious ones we'll get into is who is picking up a TMS right now. It has changed drastically from the high point of the pandemic to the low cycle point that we're in now. we got Rob Jensen. He's the founder of MePlan. He's building digital twins, and he just uh, got out of my alma mater. University of Arkansas, Phil Razorback coming on the show. J.J. Keller's Mark Shedler. He's going to talk about how data is driving, di driving data. <laughs> da 
can I read today? I swear to God, I have not started my St. Patrick's Day festivities. J.J. Keller's Mark Shedler talks about how data is, dry, is driving driver retention and coaching. Jeez. Plus, inside the Pecan Factory, we got uh, Robo Roller Dogs get rich quick trucking scams and a whole bunch of other stuff. So let's tip the band and we'll get into the show. Supply chain challenges are not always easy, but the commitment from the team at Dunavant Logistics to take on the responsibility is unwavering. Dunavant, logistically speaking, they're at the center of it all. Visit them over at Dunavant.com. But right now, let's bring up Rob Jensen, PhD candidate at the University of Arkansas, and he's got a brand new company called Meat Plan. Woo Pig. What's up, man? Woo Pig, how are you doing? How are you doing? How's your bracket doing? I'll tell you what. I forgot to make a bracket this year oh. somehow. I have no idea. I got, I got busy founding this company, and uh, here we are. Well, you, you know, Furman, they, they, they won that big game, and after they won, only 10% of brackets. The second game of the day, only 10% of brackets left were perfect, and mine wasn't one of oh, them. I'm, I know, right? How, I mean, how do you predict something like that? That's insane. So you are just getting out of the Ph.D. program at the University of Arkansas. What do they teach a guy like you over there? Yes, sir. So that is um, actually I came down to the University of Arkansas because I thought, well, if you want to learn about supply chain, uh, go to the university right down the road from Walmart. So uh, came to the University of Arkansas in 2019. Of course, uh, COVID started right after that. So it was a unique opportunity to learn about uh, supply chain issues in real time. Interesting. And because you, you, you went, you know, you have to call the hogs, right? Do you know the chant? Ooh, I do, but, you know, I haven't uh, taken part in any festivities either, so maybe we'll save that for tonight. Uh, no. Ah. All right, that, this is the weakest uh, one I've gotten from a student so far. I'll, I'm just going to call you out. You know, we take a lot of pride That's over fair. there. Now, I've never actually stepped foot on the campus myself, but I do have a, a degree from the place. Now, let's talk about your startup then. What about your startup? What is, what is, what is me plan? Is it a new game for the Wii? What do we got going on? Yeah, close. So uh, calling it my plan, um, which makes a little more sense in context. Uh, so I got started uh, with this project about a year and a half ago with a company locally, uh, Ox. They're a startup working on human-centric automation. And they got in contact with the university to see if we could build um, some algorithms to improve picker productivity in warehouses, uh, kind of help out with some of that labor shortage by uh, looking at ways to improve productivity. And uh, I ended up building a digital twin for them. Um, very, very basic. And after that, I thought, you know, there's got to be something more to this. So I, um, I got linked up with uh, my co-founder, Kim Egens. Uh, he is out of Europe, actually. And we thought, you know, he had a simulation engine. Um, I've had experience building digital twins, and we thought, yeah, I, I bet we can make a business out of this. So we are uh, bringing it to market here soon. And uh, the, the feedback that we've gotten on some early stage prototypes um, has been ex as good as I could have hoped. So looking forward to it. Now tell, so is this, is this what we're looking at right now? Is this a digital twin? Tell me what uh, we're seeing here. Yeah, so that is a digital twin and uh, what that was built for. So this is a mining use case. And uh, this was really um, to get the simulation engine up and running and it tracks assets through your supply chain. So you can see that it's got um, some equipment, some trucks, and it looks at how can you minimize costs, um, in this case, emissions and maximize your material usage. So we're taking that concept and trying to um, bring it over into the 
supply chain uh, space at large. We thought uh, getting visibility into your supply chains would help with so you know dealing with so many of the disruptions that so frequently occur. So what has gone into building your startup? Well, especially as a student, as a PhD student, tell me a little bit of the story here of getting this stood up. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that's an interesting story because I have been finishing a dissertation at the same time. So trying to juggle um, all of the time commitments with writing a dissertation and also figuring out how to get a company off the ground um, has been an interesting challenge. But fortunately, I've had some uh, wonderful people help me out with the company side of things. Um, You know, a lot of people with prior experiencing prior experiences uh, running businesses and just having those mentors to rely on has, has truly helped me out. Interesting. Any advice for students who are learning right now? Well, they're also working on a project that they want to spin off into a company. What's what's worked for you and what hasn't worked? Yeah, so um, I, I guess what has worked is being open to kind of that hard feedback um, and learning from it. So being willing to step out of your comfort zone a little bit, come on a podcast or a show like this and, and talk about what you're doing to get feedback. That was the uh, the biggest single thing I think I did well was actually just just give it a shot. And that's that's just the advice I would give is, you know, it's, it's a lot more challenging than I think anyone expects, uh, but at the same time, it's very rewarding to see something or a project you're working on um, get legs and start start moving in a, a cool direction. Yeah, build in public a little bit, especially if you're a student. People will hear that and alert and like, oh, okay, he's a student. He may need some help. You attract people by putting that out there, especially if it's a good idea. People get so worried everyone's going to steal their idea. Ideas are a dime a dozen. Execution is what matters. And you're not going to execute if you can't build a great team. And you're not going to build a great team if you don't let anyone know about what the hell it is that you're building. But why digital twins? What is Why was that your decision to go in this direction? Yeah, so Digital Twins, um, the company Ox, that is what they were looking for. That is um, something that they couldn't find someone or were having troubles finding someone to uh, to build for them. So that's that's actually just luck of the draw. Um, I, I was in the right place at the right time and uh, um, gave it a shot, and it turned out pretty well. So, um yeah, yeah, that was that was how I got started in the space, and then. Um, yeah, found my co-founder, Kim. Um, he had already been working on the software side of things. Um, he's got 20 years experience in the development space. And so he had a head start on the foundations. And so it was a, a great match um, with the, I guess, complementary experiences. Now, who's the intended user and, and how are you attracting them to this? What is the What is the elevator pitch? Why would I want a digital twin? What do I need it for? Yeah, so I guess uh, a lot of companies have data that you know they're they have, but they don't really know what to do with it. And so there's this push to become a uh, data-driven um, or implement data-driven decision making. And using a digital twin, uh, once you build it out for your core competencies, you can see where the inefficiencies are in your operations and start to improve those um, to really impact your bottom line. So that's that's what gets me excited about it is seeing. Um, um, the results financially of putting these products into production. And what's the next step in these early stages? Are you out there raising money or just trying to build users? You're just testing the system. What were we at? Yeah, absolutely. So we have decided to bootstrap it for now. Um, we went with the fine, talented people who are interested in the project to build a really cool product and um, get user feedback so we can start getting some of those early contracts. Um, 
I actually just uh, started working with Kim about two months ago. So it is still very early stages. Um, we're focused on getting that uh product feedback from potential end users. And then from there, we, we hope to convert some of them into long-term clients that we can um, provide a, a software and a service that will help their business be successful, especially as we are more than likely entering this economic downturn. Very cool. Now, behind you, I noticed two guitars. Tell me about them. Yeah, so I uh, started playing in, oh, I guess high school, but, um, you know, unfortunately with the PhD program, I haven't had much time in the last ooh, four years to play. So I thought if I bring them up to my office, people will hopefully ask, and that'll give me a little motivation to start getting back into it. But it's, um, it's fun to mess with in between meetings. Uh, I would not play publicly at this point, though. Oh, I meant what model are they? Oh, one is a Taylor and one is a Fender. Oh, oh, well, beautiful. Well, before I let you go, I have to send you to the wheel of stupid questions because it is Friday. So let's spin this thing around. Let's go. Here. All right. Actually, it's my it's dealer's choice. I'm going to go with uh, what is being that it is St. Patrick's Day and all and being that Boston is the party capital St. Patrick's Day. What is the best Boston movie? Ooh, that is a great movie. I'll tell you what, I am blanking. I am from the Midwest. You're going to have to forgive me on that one. I, I do not know that I can come up with one off the top of my head. You can't come up with a single Boston movie. I was so focused on getting everything ready for this. That you never heard of like The Departed, known. Fever Pitch, Goodwill Hunting, The Fighter. Uh, uh, we got God Goodwill. Baby Gone. We got The Town. The Town was fantastic. That was filmed in the North End, actually, outside my apartment. Oh, was it? Well, yeah. in, in that case, I'm going to stick with Goodwill Hunting since All you've right. given me some options here. All right, we'll go with Goodwill Hunting. Thank you very much. People, in the meantime, they want to find out, they want to build a digital twin, maybe not of Boston, but of somewhere else. Where do they go? Yeah, so uh, you can actually shoot me an email, rob at myplan.com, or um, just set up a Twitter account at myplan. Uh, don't have a website yet. We've been keeping it stealth mode up until now, so we will get that up and running here shortly. Cool. And you didn't like me plan, but what about me undies? They seem to be doing pretty well. All right. I'll talk, yeah, I'll have to try them out here soon. All right. Take it easy, Robbie. Have a good St. Patrick's Day. Hey, appreciate it. You too. Be careful. Be careful out there. All right. Meanwhile. So we are running the second round of the chocolate-covered pecans this morning. All of the chocolate-covered pecans are double-coated. So this is the second coating going through the enrober machine and through the cooling chamber all the way to the end where it gets packed. So we are running. Love it. Those are the, those are uh, the chocolates and pecan logs over at Stucky's. That was Stephanie Stucky. It's been too long since she's been on the show. We got to have her back. Anyways, it's Mark Schiller, senior editor at JJ Keller and associates incorporated. Mark, how's your bracket doing any better than uh, myself or my previous guest who didn't even make one. Well, I'll tell you what, the Badgers were sent to the NIT, so the bracket is uh, busted uh, right out of the gate. So I didn't do one. Uh, I mean, everyone's was with that with that Furman win anyway, so it might have been the, a good year to skip. Yes, definitely, definitely. Well, hey, you have been doing this for a while, and I got a question for you. What has been the biggest change in data, perform data and performance management that you have seen from when you were managing drivers half a dozen years ago to now? So what's changed in that five, six, seven years? 
Well, uh, first, I'd like to wish you a happy St. Patrick's Day. And I, I will venture a guess and say that we benefited uh, from a little bit of the luck of the Irish because a short, you know, less than seven years ago, I was managing a fleet that uh, got a every two week data download, and I'll date myself from our Qualcomm system. And we were lucky to coach a driver within three weeks of an event. And it could have been a severe, you know, excessive speeding event, uh, hard brakes. Uh, so there was that. And then in every case, there's plausible deniability. Well, I don't remember, or uh, that wasn't me. Uh, so you didn't have the video uh, to back up your conversation, put it in context. Uh, you know, I think just working with old data and in spreadsheets was just the biggest difference. Today, uh, they're coaching sometimes same day if an event is severe enough. And certainly within within three days, the problem today is they got to manage just a, a fire hose of, of data if they don't have a good system that prioritizes things. You know, you bring up a good point there. And it's there. It's not just managing data. There's a lot of data and a type of data is different, especially when you're talking about a driver. You're talking about things like ELDs and, and dash cam footage where there's there might be video involved. Right. But uh, how does better managing that data? Because, I mean, the worst thing you can do is put, like, a bunch of cams in your truck facing the driver and then never do anything with it, right? I mean, yep. how does better uh, manage that data? 100%. How does that help with driver retention, though? Because these things, some of these aspects, too, like these sort of surveillance aspects, are viewed very negatively by drivers. Oh, for sure. And, you know, you have to have the right approach. You you can't go at it with a let's see how quickly we can get people out of the seat. The point is to get to drivers early in their tenure, because I remember we struggled with less than 90 day uh, tenure drivers uh, to, to alleviate their frustration up front. So if you see that a driver is having I'll just give you an example. Uh, they're having uh, hard brakes two o'clock in the afternoon in a, in a fairly uh, a steady pattern. Well, that could be when they're falling asleep at the wheel and they're finding themselves on top of somebody. Uh, so you want to see how well they're adapting to their new job, coach them early, reduce their frustration. Then there's the longer tenure drivers that just get bad habits. You've got to get to them and coach them and, and train them up uh, where they've developed bad habits. Don't give them enough rope to, hang themselves, so to speak, to where you have to let them go based on your, your hiring criteria. So I think it's a tremendous retention uh, uh, play having a coaching and corrective action program. But managing and coaching can be tough. People get defensive, especially in a position like driving where most of the time you're working alone and the only time you hear from people is because they're chastising you or criticizing you. How do you prioritize these events for coaching so it doesn't become toxic, you know? Well, first, if you don't have a recognition aspect and, and realize that, hey, there are drivers out there doing miraculous things at times uh, to mitigate crashes, avoid crashes. So put the, put the recognition factor into it uh, and don't just focus on the uh, serious events. The next, you know, you know to answer your question I am a firm believer that you have to look at the root cause of your crashes, your accidents and your incidents. So on your loss run report, you know, what's get what's doing you in? Um, and when you put the cameras in, are they wearing seat belts? Are they are they minimizing, you know, injury in a crash? 
But if you really want some a valuable tool, I'm a huge fan of American Transportation Research Institute's crash predictor study. They just updated it in 2022, and they uh, correlate violations and uh, convictions to the probability of a DOT crash. So, for example, a failure to yield, a driver has a 141% greater chance of a DOT crash. So if you look up their study, you could sort of work that in with what's causing your crashes, but also uh, their sort of their severity uh, correlation, I think, is a, a huge help to prioritize. Now, dash cams, obvious. Everybody knows about them. Aside from that, what can you do to shore up your your safety program and your defensibility? Well, you know, I'm going to be unoriginal here and say the safety management cycle that FMCSA created really is a great auditing tool. Look at your roles and responsibilities. Make sure people understand what they're supposed to be doing and when. Your policies need to be simple. You know, if it's personal conveyance, we don't do that or 50 miles a day. Uh, you know, people have to be able to explain a policy in one sentence or two. Uh, procedures need to be clear, relevant to what you're doing now. Um, and, you know, make sure that's solid because uh, in another study that Atri did, they uh, defense attorneys and plaintiff attorneys agreed, exceed the regulations. So if you don't have best practices exceeding the regulations, you're, you're a target. Uh, and also follow your policies and procedures uh, consistently and be proactive. Avoid crashes, all the things you know I've been talking about with implementing a dash cam system, but having a system to prioritize the most serious events and don't let them become uh, uh, undealt with because of the, a bunch of insignificant many that you can't manage through. Do you have any closing thoughts for carriers? Mine is that since it's St. Patrick's Day with accidents up 41%, maybe if you don't have to do a run today, park your truck. What about you? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, don't rely on uh, get, getting uh, lucky. So in my over 30 years in uh, trucking, 25 in the business and uh, almost seven for J.J. Keller, I've found that if you don't have a system to prioritize what you're supposed to be executing on, your day is going to be overcome by events. So get a system to manage all the data that you're responsible for. Any data coming into that truck, camera, ELD, or the ECM, you're responsible for it. So you need a good foundation, a good system. Our data sense system is a good example of that uh, to help prioritize and keep your people focused on recognition as well as coaching and correcting uh, in a timely manner so you can uh, uh, keep your business uh, uh, defensible, as you said. Very cool. Well, hey, I already spun the Wheel of Stupid Questions earlier today. It lands it on Best Boston Movie. What's your pick, Mark? Oh, Goodwill Hunting uh, by far. Goodwill Hunting. All right. That's, that's two for Goodwill Hunting. Mine's gone, baby, gone. But we're the town. Either one. Mark, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. Go check out J.J. Kelly. Hey, you bet. Take it easy. Right. Take care. All right, send us the hard stuff. That's what Dunavant Logistics says. When you run into that really challenging logistical nightmare that keeps you up at night, call the good folks over at Dunavant. They make headaches disappear. Visit them at Dunavant.com. Let's take a look at trucking in the Arctic. Morning. So I'm going to give you a little tour about the inside of a Rolagon. 
So right here we got all our regulators and uh, those control the individual pressure to all the bags, also known as tires. And you got your shut-ins so you can check to see if you got a leak down there. You get your diff locks and your pitch control. And then we'll move on. Our GPS, which is, it's not tweaking out. My phone's just making it tweak out. Uh, then we got our in-reads, emergency, and tracker right there. Uh, down here, we got our pyrometer and our speedometer, temp gauge. And these are all the controls for beacons, lights, uh, heaters, fans, trailer brake, spotlight. Machines have a motor in the trailer and a motor in the tractor, so you're not just pulling your trailer. So this is your shifter right here to put your trailer into gear. And these are your high idle switches and your high idle throttle controls here. This is your effort knob, which basically can lower or raise your RPMs in your trailer. Uh, and then this is your main shifter for your tractor. Oh, these are all your gauges for your trailer motor. Uh, you get your transmission and then everything else is on a Murphy, which is pretty much digital, so none of the other ones really matter. Uh, you just got your oil, uh, oil pressure, coolant temp, engine RPMs, battery voltage, stuff like that. And you got the same one down here for your tractor. Uh, you got two different tacks, one for your uh, trailer and one for your tractor, so that if the electronic ones fail, you got those as a backup. You got your bag air and your brake air right there general operating idea of it all I mean it doesn't really explain how it all works but it's pretty straightforward once you get the hang of it yeah, once you get the hang of it, there's like 7,000 switches in there. Let's go from the Arctic to some palm trees over here. Let's head over into uh, Tim Iams' room. He's the president and CEO over at InMotion Global Inc. And uh, it looks lovely where you are. It looks better than where that driver was, Tim. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. That guy looked like he could be a substitute for a NASA pilot. I mean, that was a, that was a lot of equipment. <laughs> they had a lot to keep track of out there when you're in the Arctic. I mean, I there was controls just for interior controls, pressure controls, trailer controls. There was a lot, a he lot. He didn't even mention if they had a seat heater. I have no idea if he had a, a seat warmer. <laughs> His ass could be freezing right now. We have no clue. <laughs> where where yeah. are you hanging out? You're in, uh, you're in Florida, aren't you? Are you not? Yeah, in beautiful Florida. You can probably see the, uh, the palm tree over my right uh, hand. Uh, side here um yeah i'm in tierra verde i live on a an island uh, just uh, south and west of tampa oh wow i'll have to come out there sometime and cause some uh, some cause some havoc on the island you are welcome anytime <laughs> tim has how's your how's your bracket though do you even follow college basketball you're are you more of a like a football guy soccer guy yeah, so, you know, I, I like the the real football, the one played with the actual feet. Um, I never quite understood why why American football was called football. Um, it should be called, <laughs> I don't know, pound it ball or hit people ball. But, uh, yeah, I'm a, you know, a, a soccer fan. So uh, I, I definitely follow the, the English Premier League and the English national team. Wow. All right. Well, I don't know enough about that to ask you about it. So we'll jump into some <laughs> TMS talk and we'll get into Frank because I do know about that. Now, what's good in TMS? And the reason I ask you this is because you never give generic answers on LinkedIn. You always have these sort of big write-ups about things that, are, are, that you love about th that space right now and things that you hate about it. What is good before we even get all into some of the data of usage? What, what, what do you like right now? Yeah, so so what's very interesting about the world of TMS right now is that for the first time in the last couple of years, TMS has always been a, an area where the top 5% of the, the industry kind of had the advantage. They were able to uh, uh, spend big money on TMS technology. They had the IT staff. They had the, the expertise. They understood, you know, APIs and EDI and all of the, you know, the different acronyms. But what's happened is, you know, if we want to live in a digital world of freight in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, 
we have to bring all the smaller guys up uh, through the ranks. And 95% of the industry is a small entity, a small operator, a very often a family operator. And they literally can't spell, you know, API or EDI. Some of them can't spell WWW. So, so they're just not very tech savvy. And so for the first time, I think, Large shippers and large brokers and large carriers have realized that if 95% of the people I do business with are not very tech savvy, I have to provide them with the tools to bring them up into this digital world so that we can all do digital uh, uh, freight uh, tendering and acceptance tracking, and we can do it from machine to machine. Wow. So what do you, what isn't good? What are, what are you taking your knives out at? What do you want to see gone in this space? Yeah, so in an ideal world, so I've got to be very careful because, you know, we have about 70 different partners, and so I don't want to tread on any toes. Sure. But, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll just, you know, talk about very quickly load boards. I mean, load boards have been a, a, a mainstay in the industry for, you know, 40, 50 years. Uh, you know, we all know the, the big names. But, you know, over time, you know, what's happening is is machine-to-machine connection where, you know, a machine can say, you know, let's just pretend that there's 100,000 separate installs of TMSs out there in the world. And one of those TMS installations has a load going from, say, Tennessee to Illinois, um, and it, it's able to broadcast that automatically to all other 999,999 TMS installations to say, I've got this load, it's available tomorrow at 8 a.m., and then all of those TMSs can basically respond to say, hey, I happen to have a load that's going to be a half a mile away from there that's able to pick that up, and you can then take those almost 100,000 uh, uh, polling requests down to 10, 20, 30 available trucks. I'm not talking about trucks that might be available. I'm talking about trucks that literally are just 20 miles away right now where they've sat overnight and they're right there. So I think that the world is changing right now uh, from a a very manual process to do things where machines will be talking to machines to aid us all to be able to do those perfect matches. Interesting. You know, so Kevin Hill, he posted the other day that he was looking through some data and he saw that in the TMS, the database he was looking through, more than 50% of email addresses were like Gmails, Yahoo's. They weren't like a company's official URL, which uh, not necessarily a bad thing, but it tends to imply that these are much, much smaller companies. They don't, and they're not very tech savvy either. They don't know how to set up their own URL. And you're applied with all this fascinating usage data that you've been crunching. Tell me a little bit about what you're learning about the users of TMS and the size of some of these brokers. Because I was, I was pretty astounded by how small some were. Yeah, so um, you know we we have a very unique eye on on the industry. So we've got there's only one big unified system of ascend, and it supports carriers, brokers, and shippers all in one system. And so we can, we know how many loads they do, the average rate per mile they're they're moving things for, their cost to operate. I can tell you essentially, you know, just using simple you know statistical regression analysis, what percentage of the industry is profitable, what's not profitable. You know, today we've got literally, as I'm talking to you, I'm looking at my dashboard, fifty two thousand nine hundred nineteen customers. Um, uh, 26% of the entire brokerage market uses Ascent today. Obviously, mainly the long tail of those, and, and that continues to increase. We are still growing even in this recessionary market. And what we've discovered is, you know, last year, 6.3 million uh, loads were moved from beginning to end through Ascent TMS customers. And what we've discovered is that the average uh, uh, broker, in this case, uh, you, referring to Kevin's conversation, yeah. um, is only 2.8 users. So we all know the big brokers with thousands of people, but there's a whole lot more with one, two, three, four people. So the, the world of transportation brokers and carriers is very much a mom and pop family type operated business. 
Many of them have dreams of becoming bigger, but they never get past that two, three, four people because growing a business is inherently very difficult. Um, the average uh, broker out there does uh, under $2 million in revenue. And I'm 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 taking aside the ones that might have an MC number that are not doing any you know business whatsoever. There are a lot of those, as Kevin uh, alluded to, but the average broker is very small, less than two million dollars uh, a year. Uh, let's call it three people, two point eight people. Um, but they can make a very nice living. It's one of the few industries where you can have no college degree. Uh, you can make a six-figure salary for you and your family with just some common sense, uh, some simple technology like a CMS. Uh, and others. Uh, so it's very interesting. People don't realize everybody focuses on the top 5%, but the industry has got 95% of small players that will continue to be fragmented as far as I know for the next, you know, at least the next decade. How do you how do you bring it? How do you sure in that that fragmentation? And how do you do it from the perspective of you mentioned something interesting there? You said, you know, all different users use Ascend. So you have these 2.8 user accounts, but then you also have the thousand user accounts. How do you cater towards both? Yeah, so so our largest customer is a $12 billion uh, a, a food shipper, basically, and they have a brokerage as part of that uh, to keep the, the liability separate. Um, and 350 warehouses across the country. But but our typical customer is somebody, we average a new account every 23 minutes. So, you know, if I'm on this this call with you for 23 minutes, a new account will be created by somebody with a dream. Um, quite often over the last couple of years, that was people that would see all of this freight just flooding the market. And they would realize that this is my opportunity to jump into the freight world and actually take my friend, you know, down the hallway Two or three people get together. They have one, maybe two customers, and then they can basically start a, a business together that they have a dream that they can be much bigger over time. Um, an interesting statistic is that that was two years ago. Today, our, our average customer, 87% of our new customers today during 2023 are not new entrants into the market. They are people that are basically now trying to cut costs. So the, the, the easy money of, of 2021, 2022 has gone away. And what they're trying to do now is say, look, we're, we're down in freight. Volumes are down. Rates are down. Let's now try to save money. And so we're seeing now 13% of our new customers are, are new entrants. But 87% today are coming from existing technology where they're trying to say, okay, I have the time to look at new technology, get rid of my legacy product, save some money, and move into the new world of new digital freight world because now I have the time to focus on it. Interesting. Do you see that trend line continuing? And is that is that just indicative of the market? You got a low market and that's that's just that cost-cutting cycle, that, that's what's driving that? Yeah, so um, you know, you know as well as I do, the, uh, the whole trucking world is a, a world of cycles. Um, uh, but remember this too, you know, so I watch your show all the time, best uh, freight-related show on, on TV. And, and a lot of the people, if you're 35 and under, you've never really seen a big recession because, you know, when, when you're in your 20, 21 years old, you know, that's you leaving college. That's kind of when the, the, the last big recession, the great financial crisis happened. So if you're less than 35 years old, all you've ever known is a world of easy money. I mean, there's been a few blips up and down, but generally speaking, low interest rates, easy money, easy freight, lots of people consuming. And so starting a business in the last 15 years was relatively easy. And you only had to hold your hand out the window and freight would hit your hand and you could you know, start making some money. Today, that's changing. And so I think that people like like me, I mean, I'm, I'm 56 this year. Um, I know I look a lot younger. Thank you for doing it for that compliment. <laughs> but 
but my point is, is that uh, a lot of the people now are realizing that, hey, I need to recognize that this is a, um, a world of, of cyclical activity and I need to listen to the old farts like Tim and, and basically store up my, my uh, nuts for a rainy day. And, and so I think that the ones that are going to survive in the next one, two, three years are going to be the ones that recognize that um, and recognize that there's a down market. It's on us right now and it's going to continue. And they have to be more proactive about cutting costs and being, as my you know, dad used to say, you know, cut your cloth, you know, to suit your suit. So uh, to make sure that they're not wasting money anymore. You know, I was curious about some data that you posted and it was really interesting. It said truck drivers went from almost 140,000 miles per year in 2003 to just 84,000 in 2022, but their net income rose 36% in the same period. What do you make of that? Yeah, so that came from uh, one of our partners, ATBS. Um, a, a, a slight sidebar to that, you know, we're, we've recognized that the typical customer of ours um, needs help with their business. And so about three years ago, we started, um, the biggest request we had was people needing help with their payroll. Doing payroll for carriers is very complicated. And so we partnered with a company called Superior Trucking Payroll. We are now the largest referrer of business to Superior. Um, but then we started getting more questions about, hey, taxes and how do I file taxes? And what what is my rate per mile too low, too high? What's my cost per mile? Where should it be? So we partnered with a company called ATBS, America's uh, Trucking Business Solutions Group. And they are the largest at helping people with their back office and giving them the benchmarks they need, where their rate mile rate per mile should be in order to make sure that they're at break even or better. They can they have 25,000 small carrier customers where you can look and see where you are in the in the league table, if you will, of most profitable to least profitable. And so they do this report quarterly. And uh, my very uh, good friend, uh, Mike Holstead, who is the, the person that did this presentation, noted that, and they've been doing this now for 30 plus years. So in the last 20 years, the number of miles went from about 140. So we're talking about pre-ELD days to um, uh, approximately 85,000 miles uh, today. So that's a massive degradation in the number of miles that you're able to drive. And that degradation essentially means you're going to earn less money. However, the, the actual gross income went up because the number of the, the basically the rate uh, per mile has gone up. But somebody pointed out in my LinkedIn post, and they were quite right, that has not kept up that 36% over that period of time has not kept up with inflation. So while it seems like it's a, a gross increase of 36%, which is correct, the actual amount of income you're earning has gone down. So people are they've driven less miles and they're earning less income because of the effects of inflation eroding their, their income. Fascinating. Fascinating. Well, they probably need to save some money. And if they want to, with Ascend TMS, the free TMS, how do they go about doing that, Tim? Just go to thefreetms.com. You can start in uh, approximately 13 seconds. We have, <laughs> uh, we've timed it. And uh, we have a free trial uh, for 30 days. And if you basically do business with one of our 70 partners, you can get Ascend for up to one full year, completely and utterly free. Now, Tim, before I let you go, I already spun the wheel of stupid questions. The question of the day was best Boston movie. You got to pick. Um, if you'd have said uh, best Boston eatery, I would have said Boston market because I don't know anything about Boston movies. But the gentleman before me mentioned Goodwill Hunting, so I'm going to go with his answer. Yeah, it's got the great Robin Williams in it. Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, take care, Tim. Really appreciate your time today. Have a great St. Patrick's Day. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it, Tim. Take it easy. All right, everybody. Let's take a look at a little urban legend. According to urban trucking legend. 
The appearance of a black dog to a tired trucker is an omen that means a fatal crash is coming. Some see the dog as a warning to get off the road, but others say it means you're at the end of your line. Mm. Look over that black dog. All right, it's Michael Rentz. He's a CRO over at Gnosis Freight. Hello, sir. How you doing? How's your bracket hanging in? Hey, I'm doing well, Dooner. Uh, bracket's looking okay. You know, pretty early to determine that, but still in it. Yeah, who you got winning? I have Arizona winning, I think. No, Kansas, excuse me. God, that would suck I if I had Arizona winning. Would I <laughs> you would have known you're yeah, not yeah. going very far early on in uh, yeah. in that battle. Yeah. Well, where, are you, where are you joining us from? You guys are, what are you, South Carolina guys over there? Yeah, so we're headquartered in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, all of our employees are here in the office. Um, so that's where we are, Charleston, South Carolina. Well, that's dope. Well, what is Gnosis Free? What do you guys do in Charleston, South Carolina? So Gnosis is a logistics software company. Um, we do container lifecycle management as well as container visibility. Uh, it's two parts of our business. And... Uh, you know, work directly with the BCOs and another wide variety of different customers on the data side. Okay. So how, how, how did the company get started? You guys have been around for what, five, six years now? Yeah. So uh, officially started in 2017 by our founder, Austin McCombs, um, have grown organically since then have about 30 employees. Uh, the current go to market with the products that we have now has been around for about three years. And uh, have you been there in that time? Where did the idea come from, your go-to-market product? And, and do you, are, are you familiar with what the pivot was? Yeah, yeah, of course. So um, I've been here the last three years. Uh, you know, initially, Austin, our founder, started out working alongside a freight forwarder, building individual solutions on behalf of the BCO, so at, on behalf of the shippers themselves. And after about nine products, you know, very quickly realized that we had a suite of services that was valuable to the BCOs. Um, and then kind of arranged those in a way that made sense in a, in a package format for those BCOs. And it was just rather fortuitous that right at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, we started on the ocean and port and terminal side of the supply chain. So opposite of a lot of the visibility providers who started on the domestic side. And fortunately for us, a lot of the problems that created what people know that as the supply chain crisis start was created and was maintained on the ocean and terminal side. So we kind of had an advantage there is that was our subject matter expertise. And then the products that we had developed specifically for the BCOs was built uh, for that. So it kind of launched us out into the market. Um, and I would say the last two and a half years, uh, we've been focused primarily on the BCOs with our software, which is container lifecycle management. But since yeah. then, we also created our own proprietary track and trace data, which has become the fastest growing piece of our business the last year that we sell to a wide variety of other customers, so not just the BCO. So we sell data to other visibility providers, Ocean. Hold on, slow down a second. Why do you think that is? Which part? Why do I think the data has yeah, why, become the Why most, is that the, taken over? Why is that taken off as such a, a product category for you? Yeah, so I wouldn't say it's taken over. You know, a substantial part of our business is still the software itself, and that's yeah. our primary business. Um, I think because we were customers of the data first. So the genesis story of our data was we were actually in the market as a software provider buying data from other visibility providers. And we just got tired of that data being somewhat, somewhat incomplete and having to explain that to our BCO customers. So our CTO, Jake Hoffman, and our engineering team set out to build our own data model to just really be the gasoline of our own system. 
Um, and it ended up being better than anything that we could buy in the market. And so then people found out about it. We didn't really market it that heavily uh, and started to test it. And they kind of corroborated and agreed with, you know, our assumption that our data was really good and complete. Um, and since then, uh, it's been in, in very high demand. I think because we add context and what we call opinionated language to that data set, and that we pull data from a variety of different places, not just the ocean carriers, um, and that we're using the data, you know, on behalf of our BCO customers that, that what sets our data? data apart. Michael, what, what's interesting in the data? What, have you noticed any trend lines recently that you're like, whoa, this is, I can't believe it. Um, yeah, from a macro perspective, definitely. I feel like we have, we're uh, a very leading indicator with regards to what's going to trend downstream you know, in traditional macroeconomic metrics, you know, we get to see things like bookings, uh, import volume, inventory levels of some of the biggest BCOs and retailers in the world. So we, we definitely have an insight into what's happening from a data perspective. Um, and then we pull data from, you know, six primary places. You know, a lot of people think that ocean carrier milestones just come from the ocean carriers. That's not true. They come partly from the ocean carriers, but you get a lot of container milestones from the ocean terminals and ports, the rail carriers, customs, and the AIS satellite data. So I think we do a very good job of taking all that information into our system and then showing our customers what we think is the most accurate. Sure, but is there any, um, so any nugget? Us, is there any nugget of data from that that's interesting? Definitely. Um, like, what do we see with bookings right well, now? Like, is because we're like everyone here on the trucking side. They're they're like, man, we need yeah. that pandemic level of volume coming back to the ports here because it made rates go insane on the trucking side. It did on the ocean side as well. But like, what do you see in there? Or is the cavalry coming? We got well, more freight coming. So, uh, so I mean, it obviously varies by commodity. Yeah. So to speak, you know, holistically about it, I think that there's a gluttony of of inventory still. Um, there are some commodities, maybe discount goods that are moving more fluidly, but even from the just in time automotive companies to the slower moving, uh, larger commodities are still have an excess of inventory on hand. I think collectively the whole industry is still waiting or holding their breath to see what's going to happen with demand. So you have to flush the inventory out first. You also have to have a spike in demand, which we're, we're missing. So I think it's going to be somewhat slow and flat um, with regards to inbound volume for the foreseeable future. Um, and we'll have to wait to see what these quarterly earnings look like from a sales perspective. But I know for a lot of our customers, um, Q4 was slightly up, but uh, but still not on trend with what they were expecting. And what goes into container lifecycle management? I've been a customs broker, and in my experience, that was just the uh, shipper frantically emailing me all day about where their freight is and if it had an FDA release and, and, and all that garbage. <laughs> what, what does it mean to you guys? Yeah, so the lifecycle of the container for us is the moment the PO is cut until the containers discharge at destination and the empty equipment is returned and any and everything you know, in the middle of that and also ancillary to that. So we do air freight tracking and that's obviously not in a container. So it's somewhat goods lifecycle management, but primarily container lifecycle management. Um, and any of the old standard operating procedures that go along with moving that type of volume, which is like you said, most commonly emailing Excel spreadsheets back and forth between all the different parties. Um, we replace that. Uh, we operate under a principle of by the time you open an Excel spreadsheet, that information is old. And so that's fundamentally the problem we're solving with that. And we do it in a, a wide variety of ways um, on top of that.
Nice. Well, what's next for you guys? Big big product release coming up this year. What what, what should the people know about? Yeah, I mean, primarily, I would say, you know, it's continuing to to go to market. You know, we don't really advertise or market. We're although we have 30 employees, we're still bootstrapped, somewhat traditional in that sense, and that we've been cash flow positive since the beginning and very grateful to our customers that they've fin- financed our growth. So getting the word out, uh, you know, within, you know, our own unique messaging is is something we're trying to do. It's mainly been word of mouth. So I feel that our Current product in CLM, Container Lifecycle Management, fits hand in glove. This is our busy season post-TPM. So spending as much time as we possibly can with those customers and getting them onboarded. One unique thing about us is we're very, very quick. So our customers are live with our CLM platform within two business days and then fully configured in that after that in two to three weeks. So very extremely cool. lightweight. We need no IT resources. So right now it's just you Great, know lining them up and knocking. Yeah. Very cool. People want to learn more. Where do I send them to? Uh, GnosisFreight.com is is our website, and everything you need is there. Cool. Take it easy. Hey, we got uh, – take care. Have a great St. Patrick's Day. We got uh, Craig Fuller right here in studio. What's up, man? How are you, man? Happy St. Saint- Patrick's Day. Happy to you. What, are you what's, what are you doing to celebrate? You know, I am uh, Scots-Irish, so yes. I, I – this is sort of natural, but – it's my birthday's tomorrow. Yeah. So, and my brother's oh, yeah. birthday's birthday. the day. Yeah. So, St. Patrick's Day is always a big day in our family. Wow. So, today is, I think today is also like uh, the anniversary of when I first interviewed here back in 2019. Was it St. Patrick's Day? Yeah, because they were giving, well, it was, yes, because they were giving away birthday shirts for you. Do you remember Yeah, that? They yeah, I, they did. Shirts? They made the birthday shirts. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. That was, a, that was the, the party we held here. So, well, uh, should we, going into the weekend, should we be concerned about SVB or any of that stuff? You've been all over the news talking about it. No, I think the banks are safe. I think yeah. um, the Federal Reserve has come in, backstopped, or the FDIC has backstopped all the bank deposits. I'm not worried at all. Yeah. So, I think we can all have a nice, restful, and celebratory uh, uh, St. Patrick's Day. All right. Well, I'll take that to the bank. So, you have a happy birthday. Right, Thank you, you so much for coming on the show. Appreciate him. All right, everybody, it's Friday, so let's get to a little good news, bad news before I send you home. The bad news and good news. All right, bad news. Your tractor has broken down. We got good news. Your son has got your back. Let's take a look at this video right here. Coming in over on TikTok. Now, those of you out there that are dads, man, this this might bring a little tear to your eye. Here he goes. He's got to pedal a little bit harder to get that moving. And if he's got a good dad, it's going to start rolling any second now. And that kid is going to think he's the strongest kid on the block. Oh, here we go. Thing of beauty. I, you know, obviously you got to give a little cowbell for the, the kid, but some for the dad too. Obviously we know there's a little magic that made that one happen. All right, on to the next one here. Good news, you want to become a successful truck driver. Bad news there's a lot of scams to look out for. Take a look at this one that's got Justin over at Back the Truck Up pissed off. I'm getting all these messages on my Instagram of people talking about how can I get out with you, put me on, put me on. He just posted this two days ago and his Instagram's already deactivated. So that's red flag number one. So today I'm going to teach people how to make money with the trucking game, man. This is all trucking industry money. None of that illegal I'm not stupid to post illegal money. Uh, so back in 2020, when rates were really high, you had guys like this all over YouTube promising, you know, easy easy money with just buy my course and I'll teach you how to be your, your own trucking boss. If anybody got $20,000 in their bank account, man, I'm going to teach y'all from A to Z. If you got $20,000 in your bank account, which is not much, man, if you really think about it, this is all you need. 
Step one, have $20,000. All right, go closer. This is gonna be your MC Authority. This is mine, this is for my brokerage, right? And this is for my trucking. These two different businesses. So lots of thanks and shout out to Reed from Lost Freight and Mike Lombard from Lombard Trucking for sending me this video last night. Um, yeah, guys like this are nothing new. Uh, there's always going to be somebody trying to sell you a course, trying to put you into you know some kind of hustle, something that you're definitely not, nowhere near qualified for. Uh, if you're trying to get into this industry, do your research. Talk to guys who have been in this for a while. Learn your operating costs. Um, this guy doesn't tell you anything about like what to pay the driver, how much your insurance is going to cost, what it's going to cost you per mile. Uh, look at rates right now. Rates are, you know, bottoming out and there's no end in sight. So right now is a terrible, terrible, terrible time uh, to be getting into the trucking industry as an owner right now. Yeah, no, and you know, one thing Justin didn't even mention there was the price of used trucks still going up. That market, you know, and, and autos are, are doing great. If you saw uh, Craig Fuller, who was just up here, if you saw his webinar yesterday, the state of freight, which happens every month, he was just talking about how that industry is. But if you look at what's happening uh, with used truck prices, I'm still seeing price out there they're extremely extremely elevated and you know that's what justin's warned you all about there don't listen to a lot of these scammers you don't know what they're talking about they're a dime a dozen on the tiktoks and the youtube out there all right good news you're almost at a deli at your delivery location bad news here comes this guy SMH. So much hate. And here's the worst thing. You're a driver. You're out there. You got to deal with the, the idiotic driving public out there who may or may not be one of that 41% who's drunk and creating accidents on St. Patrick's Day. Well, then you finally get to the rest stop. And what happens? You go, you know what? I want a roller dog. But you get there and all the roller dog chefs are gone, replaced by robots. Let's take a look at what's going on. All right, everything's going well so far. And this thing is supposed to prepare the entire roller dog. You're supposed to stick it in that thing and get you hooked up. But as you can see, it's already screwed up. It already did not get the dog into the bun. It's, it's, it's uh, pushing back and forth like it's lost in the dark. Now it's got it on the wrong end of this. Let's see if it can, um, if it can figure out. This is the one scary thing about automation, too. What happens if it skips a step in the programming there's no fail-safe? See, that's just trying to pick up the plastic. This guy, he, he might not even end up with his dog. Let's see if the robot can correct it. It did get, oh, got the sheet on. Yeah, and it slipped right off. It broke. They drop it in this metal receptacle. <laughs> what kind, I wonder what kind of recourse you have if you don't get your actual uh, Shizuro or whatever they're making over there. What is that thing? Do they fry that afterwards or is the bun already done? I don't know. Either way, you just got to break the machine. I hope there's someone on staff that can, um, that can get you a refund, like shaking the vending machines back in the day. Hey, be careful out there, people. Have a great St. Patrick's Day. We will be back on Monday with Optimus Prime. Joe Fiducci is the owner at Optimus is here. He built one off of the Prime. He takes it around to elementary schools and tells kids to go kick some bullies' asses. Craig Leinauer, he's the Inland Marine Corp. Inland Marine claims from uh, Travelers. We got Lee Glasgow from Bloomberg and uh, Carlos Lanes and Tim Perkins from 5S Services. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Don't be a stranger and take care.